Pastor. It's, uh, it's a great honor uh, to share the Bima with a dear friend and uh, a remarkable, remarkable person, uh, Rami Sherman, this morning. There's so much actually to talk about that we can't talk about a lot. Uh, there's going to be a lunch following with Rami for those who have reserved, and uh, Rami at that point is going to be sharing some particular highlights and details of one of the most remarkable chapters of modern Jewish history. For those people of a certain age, it is deeply, deeply ingrained, emblazoned in our memories. So I'm going to share mine. It goes like this. I was a young boy growing up in New York, if you can't tell from the accent, and it was the 4th of July, 1976. The 4th of July, 1976 was notable in the United States because it was the 200th anniversary, the bicentennial of the United States, which means that there were lots of parties going on, lots of fireworks, people were in their backyards, barbecuing and whatnot. And all of a sudden, we hear singing and dancing. And I turn to my father and I ask him, what's going on? And you have to, for those um, of a certain age, you have to understand there were no cell phones. <laughs> there was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. <laughs> like, if you didn't know something, you couldn't just pull your phone out and find out. And so we ran into the street and we were made aware very quickly of a remarkable event that took place thousands of kilometers of where I was living in New York. And that was, over the course of one day, uh, planes from Israel loaded with soldiers flew from Israel to a, a country named Uganda, where over 130 Jewish people were being held hostage and they were being threatened to be murdered every 24 hours until the demands of the terrorists were met. And the Israeli government, in a daring, daring raid, which they authorized, sent only soldiers who had volunteered to this mission. And they rescued nearly everyone. And almost all the soldiers survived, save for one. His name was Yoni Netanyahu, who was the older brother of Israel's Prime Minister, Bibi Netanyahu. For myself, on that morning, on that day, excuse me, I said to my father, I want to become an Israeli soldier. Really? Yes. Really? Really. Zedaluk. Yeah, Zedaluk. No. Yes. Yes. And uh, so in, sm in some ways, Rami, I don't know if you remember, but the first time we met, I said to you that I became who I am because of who you are. And so Rami was uh, an operational commander on the raid of Entebbe. Um, he was there on the ground. And so this morning, I want to share a bit of an interview with Rami. Rami and I are going to have a conversation, and I want you to know a little bit about Rami and also a little bit about what happened uh, both during and perhaps a little bit after. So Rami, um, your parents are from where? I was born, no, first of all, shalom to everyone. No, <laughs> I, I forgot this because the mazel tov to all the family here. I was born in the kibbutz and I've been living all my life in the kibbutz. Probably all of you know what it means to live in a kibbutz. In one aspect of being living in the kibbutz is 
you are very much follow the socialism, communism way of living. You know, you share and everyone tell you what is good for you and what, where you should work and so on. Many other aspects, of course. So I born in a kibbutz, which was part of a very left side of the political movement in Israel, the Shomer Atzair, Mapam, if some of you know this name. And I was growing up in a children's house because that was the system when I was born. And it was a beautiful life, I can say. But one more thing I would like to share with you that the kibbutz where I was born located only 500 meters from the Syrian border. Until six day war, almost every month, sometimes twice a month, the Syrians shoot it into the kibbutz. And so being around shooting became part of my life. It wasn't something that I felt, oh, I should be afraid or dangerous or so on. It's a, it's looked like a children's game to hide behind the tree or behind the house, or if they bomb, we went down to the shelter and we spent some hours, sometime, day or two, under the ground. And I felt it's a normal way of living. Of course, when I say that now here in beautiful synagogue, it's look a bit strange to me to share such things. But uh, your parents, were they born in Israel? My parents born in Poland. They are Holocaust survivors. For my mother's side, nobody alive. And for my father's side, only one sister survived. And they met on a bus to where the kibbutz, fall in love. Or might be they want to find a place where they can put their head on. And all their life, they live in the kibbutz. How do you think, being the children of survivors of the Shoah, how do you think it affected when you went into the army? How did, do you think it made you act or feel in a particular way? Thank you for the question. It's an important question, which I wasn't ready to answer that why I thought a bit. I think my father told me in many cases, yeah. My father told me in many cases, look, my sheet, it's in a beautiful white color. But remember, under the pillow should be gun. So you can talk beautiful words, you can talk a beautiful thing, you can believe on a beautiful thing, but don't forget, under the pillow you should keep the gun to save. And I think this word really become part of my personality. In some aspects, at the 72, when I joined the army, it was clear to me that I'm going to do the most I could for defense the country. Not for fighting, not for anything else, but defense the country. And might be it could cost life, my life. But it was very clear that was the atmosphere at the 70, the 60, 
until I think uh, the beginning of the 80, when the first Lebanon war broke in. And do you, um, and when you had your, because many people here might not know, um, when you were uh, drafted into the army, uh, explain for everyone, if, if you can, briefly, um, what steps you took and where you ended up in the end? What unit you ended up in serving in Israel? So I listed to be on the most special force, special unit in the Israeli army. Now we can say, open it, Sarat Matkal, at the 70 and years after, it wasn't allowed to say the name of Saret Matkal on the lips of everyone who joined the unit. It is a special unit which mostly work over the border secretly, and there we were back from the back to Israel secretly as well. And if sometime I try to explain what is the difference from this unit to the others. So most of the army soldiers, if they don't open fire, it means they fell because we prepare during the service to fight and to shoot. While in our unit, if we open fire, it means we felt because we should be in a quiet and secret place that nobody knew that we were there. And so now you can understand why of all the units that were available to the Israeli army when it came time for them to consider a military option to free the hostages that were being held in Entebbe, the airport in Uganda. And by the way, the Israeli government at the same time, although they had a policy of never negotiating with terrorists, that the pressure on the Israeli government was so intense that they opened up channels of negotiation, but. To be fair, it was a slate of hand. It was merely a ruse for them to put into place this daring, bold mission of sending troops thousands of kilometers. And so, Rami, I know that there's lots and lots of details to the uh, mission. There have been a number of movies that have been made about it, many filled with a lot of mistakes. But I wonder if you could, for us, perhaps share one or two memories, perhaps what was most difficult sitting on the planes, and perhaps what surprised you about when you hit the ground. The first and most important was the moment when we took off from Tel Aviv down to Sharm el-Sheikh. Was 3rd of July, 76, noon, the government sat from the morning to discuss either to follow the negotiation path or the military way. And to give us a permission to land in Antebbe wasn't very clear. And the two days before, we were so busy by the preparation, we hardly slept, we hardly ate something. And then we sat on a plan, and I would like to describe one thing 
on the first Hercules was supposed to land in Antebbe. What was the condition in the plan? If I could just one second. The Hercules are those massive cargo planes. Yes. Uh, that that, it, that came, comes from America, but Israel uses them to transport material and people. 53 soldiers out from 240 soldiers, pilot, and medical staff who landed in Antebbe. 53, 55 soldiers with three cars, the famous black limousine and two Land Rover Jeep. No seat. There was only 50, 60 centimeters between the car and the plane wall. So the soldiers sat in a very narrow place. Some soldiers lied under the cars. They were lucky, of course, they could sleep a bit. And if you're more lucky, they found seat in the cars. No windows. So we were in a box, metal box. Very noisy flight. I don't know how many of you were in a C-130 cargo plane. It's a very, very noisy. No air condition. But the most difficult, honestly, for nine hours flight, even though I was 23 years old at that day, no toilet. Try to imagine you are in a plane for nine hours flight, and we empty a Coca-Cola bottle and use it as a toilet. So that was the condition for the most daring you know, mission we did. Very difficult, so that's one point. So hot, cramped, and very uncomfortable. Yes. Okay. The second place was when we landed in Sharm el-Sheikh after an hour and a half. It was a very hot day, and the first things what we did to go out just to get some refreshment, to drink, something. And then Yoni Netanyahu, Zichonolobacha, wanted to say three things in the face of us, which is very important to soldiers to listen to the commander so it brings everyone on a one line. And it was very clear and very short. First he said, we are the best soldiers on the ground over there, and no doubt we achieved to bring the ostriches back home. Full stop. The second thing, what he said, remember the most important is the question who is shooting first? Either the terrorist kills the ostriches or we kill the terrorists or the Ugandan soldiers. So don't stop as we run into the old terminal. That was very clear. And the last, what he said, was a way for my background at 76. He said, it's a mutual responsibility of every Jew to help each other. And I grew up as a child away from any tradition Jewish way of living. I'm so proud to sit here and a week before in a synagogue in Los Angeles, 
and he ears back in so many synagogues to awake my Jewish feeling in a so positive. But the moment Yoni said it is a mutual responsibility, I didn't understand what does that mean. Two examples. I was celebrating the year. You celebrated the Bar Mitzvah now. And I celebrated Bar Mitzvah in the age of 64. I wasn't allowed to celebrate Bar Mitzvah. And I was in a mission. And I served the country. And I fought in 73 war. But Bar Mitzvah, what is that nonsense here? That's the atmosphere I grew up. In Yom Kippur, which is the most holy day for all of us, we went to work as a normal day, and at the end of the day, we had a beautiful feast with pork. Because we are free people, why we have to follow the orthodox religious way of living? We are free. We were away from touching the tradition way, as you did, as Orthodox Jews did. Nothing. And then Yoni said, and I said, okay, his business. Yes, yes. You grew up in the kibbutz, a, as you described, the left-wing, very socialist, uh, irreligious kibbutz. I think one time you shared with me the story that when your parents wanted to get married, they had a fight to get the rabbi in to do the wedding. <laughs> yes. You don't know if he actually came into the kibbutz or he just stood outside and did the wedding. Yeah, the rabbi wasn't allowed to cross the gate to, into the kibbutz. And this is a whole other chapter in the, the Zionist uh, evolution. But the question I have for you, which you just touched on a little bit, was what about the mission? How did it change you? How are you different because of what you experienced? My last duty on the ground over there in Antebe was to lead the hostages from the terminal as all the fight finish, to lead them to where the plan, 600 meters, we should walk. And try to imagine, 105 hostages, Israeli Jews, Jews from all over the world, and the air crew, the Air France air crew, and the pilot, and the captain, Michel Bacos. They went out from the terminal with night clothes, some of them without shoes, the mother hold the babies on the hand. Immediately, the picture of Jews who took out from the ghetto, from the house to the train, awake inside me. Because I grew up in a Holocaust atmosphere at home in many different aspects. I'm not sharing it at the moment. It's too long. And immediately, I felt Rami, you are lucky being here in Antebe, saving life. And the second after, I thought of my family 
who were murdered in Poland. No one saved their life. And now I took part in that operation. And second after, a word came from somewhere which I couldn't explain that till today, 40 years, years since then, Rami, you save life of Jews. The moment the word Jews awake inside me, it was the first time I feel so proud to be part of that nation, to be part of this soldier of the state of Israel, and to represent all of us, whatever. The last question is perhaps the biggest one. If you were talking to young Israelis, if you're talking to young Jews who are here, or young Jews anywhere in the world, what would you say to them is the most important lesson from what took place at Entebbe? Two things. First, I think Entebbe represents one important thing to all of us, that we can move of thinking us as a victim. The history of the Jews in many different aspects is a story of being victim. And Entebbe represents something different. That's one of the reasons why so many Jews around the world, I've been around the world from 2016 till 2020, I share more than 650 formal meeting with Jews from all the spectrum of the Jews. And people share with me. I ask them, why you are coming to listen to the story that you know more or less the details? And many, many of them said, and Tebe Raid represents that we are not the victim anymore. We have a right to stand, to be proud, to create our tradition in our way, whatever we live. And I can add something more to you and to myself. We are one nation and we add together one state. Israel, it's your state as well as my state. Doesn't matter if you not live in Israel, but your heart is there. And your prayer is there. So that is one thing. So I do it very short, Rabbi. The other things, what I take from Entebbe is what I wrote to a book which written from my unit group, officer and soldiers, and I gave it to the president of Israel. And I wrote on the back page, I flew to Antebbe as a Israeli, Zionist, officer in the most elite unit in the IDF, Sabra, 
kibbutznik, whatever. And I flew back from Antebbe as a Jew, but unfortunately, it took me 40 years to understand that point. And I would like to end this answer, Rabbi, by saying what I felt here when I said. How beautiful you celebrate Bar Mitzvah, and you celebrate Bar Mitzvah with your son. Forgot your name, sorry. You stretch the tradition to a new aspect, but you didn't cut the rubber. You stretch it. You look the future, but you always remember there is a holy book, there is a something that you stretch and not cut it. I grew up with the revolution ideology, and I so much proud about being together with you here by stretching, but remember what was the past. Thank you. The, um... The other, uh, the other day, I was just in preparation for our conversation. I looked at a calendar. Uh, the hostages were taken on the Air France jet on the 27th of June, 1976, and they were freed on July the 4th, 1976. Eight days. Eight days. Eight days. In Israel today, um, certainly in my time, but I know today too, um, soldiers are often referred to as as the children of the Maccabees. And so the miracle that we'll be celebrating a few weeks, the lights that we light, when you're with your family, lighting your menorah, you know what I want you to think about? This man. That moment. No, no, it's no, not in. about me. No, no you know no, what I mean. <laughs> Rami, thank you so much. Shabbat so much. Everyone, please.